All right. Well, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, so I'm wearing a microphone. You actually should not hear me in the speakers. Uh, this is to record the class so that if you happen to miss a week, uh, we can get you the recording and get caught up or whatever. So uh, that's why we're doing that. A um, couple just uh, housekeeping items as we get started. Uh, I have handouts for tonight. Is there somebody willing to help pass those out for me? Rod, thank you. Andrew, thank you. Um, we also have, I was able to get a hold of uh, 10 copies of the book we'll be working on for a discounted price. I can get more. I just started with 10. So um, if you'd like a copy of the book, uh, raise your hand and I'll bring you one. And, uh, and then if you'd still like a copy of the book, I can buy more. So who would like a copy of the book? Excellent. You want to just put your name down on here? Okay. Took a book. Yep. Hanson's over there. Did you like, is that a thumbs up, Tim? Yes. Okay. There you go. Yeah. And like I said, we can get more. So, yeah. Any other takers? I got five more copies. Pastor Ryan wants one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anybody else? Look at this. Uh -huh. Aha! The hardest part is going to be giving away the last one. <laughs> Who would like it? Again, I can order more, so you can sign up tonight, and I should be able to get it here by next week. So. Oh, come on. See, I knew this was going to happen. Yeah, right. Okay, see, look, here, this will help. Aha, it's not the last one. All right, so now who wants to take the second to last one? <laughs> oh, come on, somebody. So, aha, there we go. All right, so the uh, yellow sheet's coming around. If you took a book, you can put your name there. If you would like a book, put your name. There's two sections, right? Took a book, like a book. So... You can figure it out. <laughs> Enough said. Enough said. All right, and the handouts came around. Does anybody need a pen? Okay, I'm going to pass those around as well. Excellent. Okay, so a couple things about this course. Um, we are sort of working through this book with uh, some added content. So um, let me just maybe share it this way. We kind of have two overarching goals as we go through this. Uh, I would say the main goal is to see what Scripture has to say about marriage. And our specific focus with this class and with his book is how the gospel impacts our marriage, how it begins to sort of reshape the way we view marriage. And so that will be a, a main focus. And so my, my desire in that as we do that is that you'll come across little things that you may not have even been aware of. It's like, oh man, we need to start working on that or we need to do that a little differently. Um, Carrie and I took a vacation this last summer. One of our favorite things to do on vacation is uh, watch a virtual conference or go to a conference, or in this case, we listened to this as an audiobook in our car time. 
and then would discuss each chapter together after we listened to it. And we went into that, you know, thinking like, wow, our marriage is really great, actually. I can't think of any, like, problems. We, we, and both of us really felt that way. Uh, and then, you know, we went through it, and every chapter there were a couple things. It was like, ooh, yep, got to keep working on that one. And we would discuss how we're going to apply it. And it has still been a benefit to us, and we're still, still working on some of the things that we came across. So, uh, so I hope it has that effect. But the other goal that I want to encourage you to think about is that as you watch God use the word and the gospel in your marriage to consider who, you, who else you might help, right? So the reality of marriage is that we all need help. Um, it's not a question of uh, if you'll ever need counseling, it's when you'll need counseling. All of us do, we, we just need help because that's what sin is, it's blindness. So think about that for a second. If that's what it is, if like, like the, the bottom line is I'm going to be blind to it, that just means I'm going to need help to see my sin. And if there are points in my marriage when I look at you know, self-perception here and I say, yeah, I'm actually doing really well, what it means is not that I'm doing everything right. What it means is that I'm blind to something, okay? Uh, and I don't mean to be like discouraging to you. Uh, but that's the reality of being a sinner in a fallen world. There's always something there that God is working. Unless I was standing here and looked exactly like Jesus to you, uh, which I don't, uh, there's still something I need to work on, right? And there's still something God wants to work on in me. So my point is, as the Lord uses it in your life, who could you help? Maybe there's somebody else in the church you could sit down with as a couple and say, hey, let's go through this together. We, we just took the class on it and it was so encouraging to us. Let's look at it together and see how the Lord would grow us both and give you the opportunity to keep ha- taking the blinders off for your own sin and help somebody else as they seek to uh, see their own sin as well. So those are kind of our two goals, something to think and pray about. And so as we go through, I'll try to point out, I'll try to help you see the outline of the chapters so that like, you understand his flow of thought, you'll underline key quotes, uh, so that you know, if you were to go through this with somebody else, uh, you've got a good sense of the book. And then the best thing you can do, I would encourage you to read it. Not a requirement of the class, there's not gonna be like a test or an exam. I'm not even gonna ask you if you've read it. Well, I might, I might just be curious at some point, but there's no like, you know, punishment if you have or haven't. Um, but reading it along the way would be great. And I'll try to let you know in advance what chapters we'll be covering so you can have those read by the time we meet, if you would like to. Okay? Any questions on some of those overview details? All right. Everybody that wanted to get a chance to sign up for a book. Oh, nobody would like a book. All right. Well, there we go. No. Any, anybody want a book? I'm happy to, happy to get one for you. All right. Well, if you change your mind, talk to me privately, and uh, we'll get you signed up for that. All right. Well, as we get started, I want to begin with a little bit of an overview and to think specifically about the gospel, okay? Um, So let's just discuss a little bit uh, what is the gospel. And I'm going to do a little experiment here. I think this will be fun. What is the gospel? Let's just take some... Some ideas, some answers, and see if we can gain some clarity here together. What is the gospel? Good answer. What's written in the Bible? Okay, good. So I'm going to put gospel here at the top, 
And so we've got, uh, let's start over here, what's written in the Bible. So there's a sense in which all of Scripture tells the story of Jesus. And so it's part of that big storyline of, you know, that, that uh, gospel truth. Good. Okay, what else? What other ideas? Good news. Good news. Okay. I'm going to put that one over here. Good news. So that's kind of what the term gospel means, right? Gospel, good news. Uh, so that's helpful to us. What else? It does. Yes, that's right. Exactly. So, yeah, you want to look that up. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, gives a great summary of the gospel. Um, I like to say it this way. Jesus died for, and I make it personal, for my sins. We could say our sins, all sins, and rose again. And you're exactly right, Renee. First Corinthians 15 does say the gospel, the gospel which I preached to you. And then he even says, which you believed and now were saved, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, according to Scripture, was buried, according to Scripture, rose again the third day. Yeah, good. All right, so there, there's like, that's probably the most, like the shortest way you could say the gospel, right? I mean, if you just really wanted to boil it down to what's absolutely necessary is that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. Uh, and that's probably about the shortest you could say it. Um, but we'd also admit, like, if you were telling somebody the message of the gospel, you may not start there. What, what might you start with if you were sharing the gospel with somebody? Yeah. We've offended the most high God. Yes. No way of that. Yes. Yes. And I would call that the bad news. Right on, Jim. So we are all sinners, which means I am. Personalize it again. And uh, under uh, condemnation of a holy God, right? Okay, good. All right. So we're starting to build some good structure here. There's the bad news. There's a really important part of it. We, we like to skip past the bad news, but it's an important part of the gospel. <laughs> Why send a Savior if we didn't need one, right? Uh, so the bad news is an important part of it. We were in desperate need of saving, and we could do nothing of ourselves. Now, there's one more piece of the puzzle that I like to add to this. Uh, what else might we say about the gospel? In fact, let's think of it in the context of sharing the gospel message with somebody. Let's say you shared the, the bad news and then the good news. What might you encourage them to do next? Yes. Yeah, believe, right? Absolutely. I like the way you said it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I guess that's the way the Holy Spirit says it, huh? Yeah. So, we'll give him credit. And I call this the response. 
Yep. So like an analogy would be, if you're flying in an airplane, the bad news is, is if you fall out and fall to the ground, you'll die. Yeah. The good news is there's a parachute. The response is, put it on. Yeah, <laughs> grab the parachute, right. Yeah, exact, yeah, exactly right. Yep, I love it. Okay, so we might come back to that, but I just wanted to discuss a little bit um, about the gospel. And hopefully in our discussions there, you're able to put some things down in those blanks. If not, here's another way you could say what we discussed. Don't be alarmed. This is not like what you wrote down is the wrong answer. What we discussed is right on. It's just another way to say it. Um, if you're like me, I, I will now feel like I have the wrong answer down in my sheet, but, but don't. It's okay. There's different ways to say things. So the bad news is, yes, I'm a sinner. Good news is Jesus died for my sin and rose again. And the response is, trust in Jesus, believe, uh, and you will be saved. So, now I explain that because um, this ends up shaping the way we view everything in life and also marriage. And chapter one is called, uh, What Did You Expect? And what we're going to see tonight is he begins to break down how we often enter into marriage with... um, unrealistic expectations, expectations that are not shaped by the gospel truth. We come in with expectations that are actually shaped by any number of things, Uh, the world's perspective of things, my selfish view of things, and we'll talk about a few of those. Um, So let me just show you how the gospel might shape the way we see things, okay? So um, in in your notes there, you see there's a title, Gospel-Shaped Expectations. Just look at those with me briefly here. Notice how the bad news shapes the way I see myself and my spouse. If I understand the gospel, I expect to be blind to the sin in my own heart, right? That's just gospel truth. I'm a sinner through and through. So it shouldn't surprise me that I sin and that my spouse is My spouse sins. I only have one spouse. Sorry for that mistake there. Uh, I also will expect to be affected by my spouse's sin. This is how the whole world works. Sin affects everything. That's why the world is broken. So it also shouldn't surprise me if my spouse has a bad attitude and that rubs off on me a little bit or it affects my plans or I wanted to have an enjoyable evening and why can't we just be happy tonight, you know? Um, So this shouldn't surprise us that I'm a sinner, she's a sinner, and our sin is going to affect one another. On top of that, we live in a fallen world and that shouldn't surprise us. So there there will be challenges, there will be difficulties, things aren't going to go the way we planned or the way we expected. Okay, let's think now about the good news. So in my marriage, the expectation is what I need is not for her to shape up, right? What I need is Christ. I need His rescue. I need His help. He's the Savior. So again, it changes the way we view what the solution is in marriage. Christ is the Savior. He saves me from my sin and saves my spouse from her sin. And... This is a really fun one. I know that he loves me because he already paid for my sin, right? So he's not up in heaven going, oh, that's a sin I didn't see coming, right? I can't believe he did that one. No, he, he knows it all. He knows everything my spouse will do. He knows everything I will do. And he already chose to move toward me and pay for it. He, he chose compassion. He chose patience. He chose mercy. 
And so that's super encouraging because no matter what I do, no matter what she does, Jesus has not abandoned me in that marriage. He's there. He's still ready to help. He's still ready to rescue us from our sin. The gospel response ought to infiltrate our marriages as well. Now, we're tempted to say, okay, well, how do we respond to struggles here? Well, I force her to change. I mean, this is just the way it works, right? I exert my power and authority and make her get in line with what's right. No, no, no. The gospel reminds me, is this how we respond in the gospel? No. How do I respond in the gospel? I turn from my sin and trust in Christ. So the same thing's true in our marriages, right? What does it take? What's my role in solving our marriage? Turn from my sin and trust in Christ. That's it. Now that trickles down to all the details of little conversations and uh, the way we respond to things. But as I keep living out that gospel pattern in my life, that's the means by which the Lord Jesus Christ sanctifies us in our marriages. Turn from my sin, trust in Christ. Now that trust in Christ involves getting in the Word and obeying what He says, believing Him and His Word and responding accordingly, right? Turn from my sin and trust in Christ. So, uh, so anyway, the gospel begins to shape the way we see our marriages. Now, one last thing before we dive into the chapter. Um, as we go through this, uh, well, I'll just, I'll just share personal testimony. As we were listening to this book in the car, uh, it was extremely easy uh, for my mind to think about how these chapters applied to my spouse, right? Now, that may be hard for you to imagine because you all know Carrie, and she's incredible, okay? So, but still, I could find things to focus on about her. Ooh, yeah, this chapter's going to be good for her, right? Ooh, I wonder if she caught that. Did she, I didn't see her move when he said that last part. I hope she understood that, you know. It's so silly, right? What am I doing? My, my attention is completely on her. Yes, she needs to be fixed. But what God wants to do, and this is, again, gospel truth, right? The gospel isn't for me to just force others to believe. It's to change my heart. I was the one who need rescued. I'm the one who put Jesus on the cross. So as we go through material like this, we've got to start with our own hearts. And it will be so tempting to think about your spouse and how they need to shape up, and they may. But let God do that work in their heart by His Spirit. And if he wants to use you to help, he'll make that clear. But let's start with your own heart. Sometimes the greatest way God wants me to help my wife is for me to repent and confess my sin and see what God does with that. And so I just encourage you, let the Spirit work in your heart and in your life uh, and avoid the temptation to just always be thinking about your spouse in this one. Uh, what does God want to do in you? This brings us back to gospel truth, because in Christ, you are safe. You are secure to admit your sin. There's no fear, right? He already knows it. So there's no reason to hide it, to fight it, to pretend like it's not there. He knows it's there, and he loves you, and he showed it, because when he knew it was there, and before you'd ever even acknowledged it, he died for you, right? So there's such security in Christ that frees us to admit our sin, and to do what is right. Okay, let's begin working our way through chapter one. If you'd like to track along in your book, you are welcome to. I realize it does become a lot of things to try to juggle, and you'll see me trying to do that 
uh, probably failing at it up here at the front. But if you want to have your book open and underline certain things as we go, that's great. Uh, I'll try to point out key, key texts and things that you can uh, make note of along the way. So in the opening part of the chapter, he just talks about uh, some, I think an example, Sam and Mary. He's, he's like a genius with these examples. I don't know how he comes up with all of these, other than that maybe he's actually counseled these couples in the past. I don't know, but uh, his examples are super helpful. I'd read through them uh, and uh, just consider them. But on, this, on the middle of page 16, he gets to uh, kind of this quote where he says, unrealistic expectations always lead to disappointment. And so that's where he starts. He begins by mentioning these unrealistic expectations, that everything's just going to be happy, or that this person is going to help me meet my goals and my dreams, right? Or that it's always going to be like the uh, engagement period or the honeymoon period where we just always had these Twitter-pated feelings in our hearts and, you know, she just always wanted to be with me and I just always wanted to be with her and it's just always going to be like that. You know, we, we set up these dreams and visions about what it's going to be like and they become expectations. And uh, so he's just pointing out that uh, those unreal ex unrealistic expectations can lead to a lot of disappointment. Where do these expectations come from? Uh, he mentions a few sources. You have them there in your notes, one, two, and three. Uh, he mentions the misuse of Scripture, that we just kind of pick and choose little bits of Scripture here and there and sort of latch onto those and don't see the larger picture of what God is doing. Um, so that's one comment he makes. That's there at the bottom of page 16. Next, he talks about the fact that young couples are often not very motivated to hear the truth about what marriage is going to be like. They're just enjoying the, the love and the, you know, the feelings in the air and the Twitter patient and all of that, right? And so they don't really want to hear, like, this is actually going to be really hard and you're going to wake up and hate each other one morning, you know, and stuff like this. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. Everything's great. I can't, they can't see that it's going to be that way. And so that's the third one, at least the third one, blindness to self-worship. So it's the very nature of sin. When I'm sinning, when I'm selfish, I will be blind to it. And it, it, takes, it requires God's help through His Word, through my spouse, through something else, to wake me up to the fact that, oh, I'm being selfish right now. This is sin. And I need to do something about that. I need to repent and turn to Christ. And um, so there's just a lot of blindness that causes these unrealistic expectations. So the goal then is to develop realistic, gospel-shaped expectations. Okay. We come to that shift at the bottom of page 18. There he has a title, Between the Already and the Not Yet. And I just jotted next to that the word middle. We're in the middle. We're in the midst of our salvation. There are aspects of our salvation that have already happened. There are aspects that are yet to come, okay? And so he explains this as uh, being in the middle of our salvation. So uh, some examples of that, you have them there in your notes. We're saved from the penalty of sin, but not yet from the presence of sin. So just an example, right? We know that Christ has paid for our sins, and yet we still struggle with sin. Another example, we're given God's Spirit to dwell in us, 
but we're not yet conformed to the perfect likeness of Christ. So it's accomplished, it's paid for, and yet it's still a work in progress. We're in the midst of it. We're in the middle of it. Okay? Um, another example, we've seen Jesus' victory over sin and death, but sin and death have not yet been eradicated. So we know it's a defeated enemy, and yet it's still present. It's still present, both of those. Um, so those are just some examples of how there's some things that have been purchased and bought and won, but we're still waiting on the fullness of that to be revealed when our salvation is complete. Now, that's helpful because it changes our expectations. We'll, we'll remember, oh yeah, there's sin in this world, right? It's still a struggle. There's death in this world. There's brokenness in this world. It's still a struggle. Who I am is, is still a work of progress. I'm saved, but God is still changing me. That means there's sin that's going to come out, and He's going to help me to grow in those things. So that shapes the way we view it. Another example, gospel reminds us to expect the unexpected. At the bottom of page 19, he calls this prepared spontaneity. And the idea is, expect the unexpected. I really like the way he says it. Your life has not worked according to your plan. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, just to pause and reflect on that. Did today go exactly the way you would have planned it? No, it didn't. In fact, you could probably think about any day, any period of time in your life, any extended amount of time. The bottom line is we really have very little control over the things that happen in our lives. We do have some control, um, but we're not running the show. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? Life does not go according to plan. And so the result is we've got to expect the unexpected. We've got to uh, prepare for the fact that things will not go according to our plan. This uh, prepared spontaneity, as he calls it, tell, reminds us to expect potential problems, uh, but also to expect promised provision. So while crazy things might happen in our lives that we weren't planning on, we also know that we have God's word for help in the midst of any of those things. Finally, the gospel teaches us to expect the expected to expect the expected. Here's where we look to Scripture. So while there are going to be things in life that are unexpected, Scripture actually does give us a lot of things to expect. And so you'll see that in his title at the top of page 71. You can expect the expected. And what he's talking about here is how Scripture does tell us how things work. It does tell us how life goes and how how to respond when I do come across sin in my heart. So I can be prepared for some of the things that happen. How do I respond when a crisis happens, when something evil takes place, right? The Bible gives us instruction so we actually can be prepared for the things we know are going to happen, even if the details of it, we don't know when or how or where those things are going to happen. So he lists a few examples. First of all, you're conducting your marriage in a fallen world. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. All right, I'll go ahead and read these verses. 
1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice. Now just to pause, the this is looking back at verses 3 through 5, where he describes our salvation, the God who begot us again and gave us an eternal inheritance and all of this wonderful stuff. So that's the this, our salvation. In this salvation you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while in the middle... If need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found a praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So those verses mean that God has us here for a reason. And we are going to experience the stuff of a fallen world. And there are three, three ideas he mentions there. The first one is you have been grieved by various trials. There will be things in this life that grieve us. We're going to face grief, right? Whether that's the death of a loved one, whether that's personal health issues that come up, uh, whether that's something even within your own family, right? We... We are not to be surprised that we will be grieved by various trials. Now, there's hope. God's using it for something, um, but that grief is a real part of life. Also, we will face trials. He mentions that word here in uh, verses 6 and 7. You've been grieved by various trials, but verse 7 opens the door to the purpose of it all, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found a praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God is using the things that grieve us, the trials, and finally those things that test us or refine us to make us more like Jesus Christ, right? to work in us change, to prove our faith and so then when we appear before our Savior, there's rejoicing and glory and praise because we've become more and more like Him. We're reflecting what He's like. And uh, that becomes the goal. So it's not a mistake. It's not a surprise that there are difficult things, that there are hard things. Our marriage fu marriages function in a broken world because God is growing our hearts. Because that's his purpose. He wants to make me more like Jesus. Okay? He uh, has a great quote about this on page 23. It's in the second paragraph. And there he says this. God decided to leave you in this fallen world to live, love, and work because he intended to use the difficulties you face to do something that couldn't be done any other way. And that work is to make you more like Jesus Christ. One of these false expectations we come into marriage with is what he calls the personal happiness paradigm, that marriage is for my personal happiness, right? And that's one of the great disappointments of marriage. Now, it's not that you won't be happy in your marriage. There may be times when you're very happy and God is working joy in your heart as a result of what's happening in your marriage. So I'm not saying it has to be the opposite. It's always unhappy. That's not it at all. But actually, happiness is not the goal of marriage. Instead, he encourages us to shift our expectations to a personal holiness paradigm. That God is working holiness in me. He's making me more like Jesus Christ. And that's his goal. And so that really changes the way we look at marriage. 
It's not about me changing her so that I can be happy again. It's about God changing me to be more like Jesus. Okay? So we're always looking for that. How is God seeking to change my heart? That's the first place we look. What is God seeking to do in my heart? How is He using this trial, which may be the result of her sin? (laughs) But as it's affecting me, how is God seeking to use that to make me more like Jesus? That's the goal. And that's what I want to desire in that moment, to become more like Christ. His goal is to change you, or as he says, to rescue you from you. So towards the bottom of page 23, there's another great quote at the end of the last full paragraph. He says this, Because he loves you, he will willingly interrupt or compromise your momentary happiness in order to accomplish one more step in the process of rescue and transformation which he is unshakably committed to. So God will interrupt my happiness in order to make me more like Jesus, because that's what leads to my greatest joy and God's greatest glory. And so there'll be times when he pulls that happiness away because he's ready to do some refining in here. And it's hard. I mean, let's just be be honest. It's hard to submit to that, right? I have often been frustrated with God in those times because I don't want to mess with sanctification right now. I just want to feel good. I just want to be happy. I don't, right? Uh, that's, that's horrible. I, uh, it has no eternal perspective, no care for God's glory in the midst of what He's doing in my life. And it's wrong. It's sinful. But in those moments to remember, oh, Lord, thank you. I don't want this right now, but I know I should want this. Help me to want to want this. Help me to love you most. Thank you for the work you're doing in my heart. Make me more like Jesus. I accept it. I submit. I trust you. Help me. <laughs> right? And, and we yield, and we see what he's doing in us in those moments. Okay, so that's part of an aspect of being in a fallen world. God's using the sins of others, the evil of a fallen world to refine me, which means that none of that is wasted either. That's a gift as well. Right? It's not, none of it's just pointless. God's always using it to make, it, make me more like Christ. Next one, you are a sinner married to a sinner. You're a sinner married to a sinner. Now, it just helps to acknowledge this. And it's not an excuse. It doesn't mean it's like just okay for my spouse to sin, but to know that it will happen. And he points out an interesting thing. He says, uh, I think it's on the middle of page 24. He says that most of the troubles we face in marriage are not intentional or personal. Some of them are, but some of them are just that I'm sinning. I have a bad attitude. It's between me and God. But it's like splashing up on you and hurting you as well because I'm sinning. That's the nature of sin. So a husband maybe didn't intend to hurt his wife, but because he's frustrated with God and not submitting to God's plan for his life, he's frustrated in general. And so he's then short with his wife. Now, it wasn't that he was like intentionally trying to hurt her, but in the end, that's what happened because he's sinning against God. So remembering that is really helpful knowing that I I need to seek out what's going on in my heart. Um, He says on page 24 as well, most often your life is being affected by the sin, weakness, and failure of the person you are living with, right? They're going to have that sin, weakness, and failure just like you will. 
Um, if we minimize that heart struggle, four things will happen. So here's a little list of things here as an aside. First, you'll tend to turn moments of ministry into moments of anger. Here's a great quote from page 25. This is towards the top of the page. When your ears and hear and your eyes see the sin, weakness, or failure of your husband or wife, it's never an accident, right? God's the sovereign ruler of your life. It's always grace. God loves your spouse and he's committed to transforming him or her by his grace. And he has chosen you to be the one of his regular tools of change. You are a helper. Instead, we often get angry because our spouse has gotten in the way of what we want, right? So um, let's say I've had a long day at the office, right? And I come home and I'm just a little discouraged. And uh, let's say it's date night. And so Carrie's been looking forward to going out to dinner and just enjoying some conversation. uh, And it's going to be great. But I'm discouraged and I'm a little frustrated, right? And so on the way to the restaurant, you know, it's just quiet. And she's kind of wondering, hey, everything okay? Yeah. What's on your mind? Oh, just, you know, some things from church, just thinking, okay, okay. Well, where do you want to eat? I don't know. Sounds good to you, you know. And so we finally make it to the restaurant and, you know, again, it's quiet at the table. Now, understandably, that could be extremely frustrating to her, right? Here she's been looking forward to her husband being present with her over dinner to talk about life and share with one another. And I'm off thinking about whatever else, you know, is going on in my world. And I'm down in a skirt. She begins to wonder, you know, like, why is he being short with me? Like, did I do something? Like, I don't understand why I'm getting treated this way. Like, what is going on in his world? It's tempting for her, for the spouse in that moment, to respond with frustration, right? Well, fine then, you know, I'll just find my own restaurant to eat at, you know, or whatever. And, you know, there's this kind of compounding explosion that can take place. And I love that he points out here when we remember that, look, my spouse is a sinner. God is working to transform his heart, me. God's working to transform her heart, her. We can ask a different question. How can I help? This isn't about me, right? Yes, your sin is splashing up on me right now and I'm feeling it. But that's where remembering the gospel is so helpful. Think about what Jesus did in light of our sin. Here's a question. Did our sin splash up and affect Jesus at all? Yeah. Yeah, he felt all of the pain of my sin. He moved toward me and he helped me. And in marriage, that's the calling, to love our spouse the way Christ has loved us. Or as he said to his disciples in John 13, love one another as I have loved you. So in that moment at the restaurant, Carrie has often, sweetly said to me, hey, seems like something's off here. You're not here, you're a little short with me. What's going on? Are you okay? Oh, thank you. I didn't even notice, Carrie. Yeah, I've just had stuff at church on mine and I'm not few things going on are frustrating me and I'm not trusting the Lord with them. Yeah, like, can we just pray together and, and start this over? You know? <laughs> and man, how precious a gift is that to have the patience of Christ to say, not be offended by my sin and run from me and go to another restaurant and etc. But to say, hey, what's going on? Can I help? Are you okay? And uh, to help me see my heart. 
and to move forward that way. So if we're not focused on the fact that God's at work in our hearts, two sinners growing and changing, we miss those opportunities and we just respond in anger and it just kind of explodes. Next thing that happens, we tend to personalize what is not personal. Carrie could have made that all about herself, right? I've had a long day and I just want to have the interview. You won't listen to me. What have I done? I'm nice to you all the time and you're not, you know, she could have just made it all about her. That doesn't end up helping anything. And, and, and my sin was hurting her, but it wasn't like directed at her. Does that distinction make sense? It was between me and God and it was splashing up and affecting her. And she had the grace to see that. Like, oh, wait a second. Something else is going on here. How can I help? You know. Uh, so don't personalize what is not personal. We tend to be adversarial in our response, right? Instead of being for each other, we're against each other. So that's when we pull out. I mean, nobody knows how to hurt you better than your spouse. And, and, and you don't know how to hurt anybody as well as you know how to hurt your spouse. I mean, you would pull out our common little knives, our daggers, you know, exactly the spots to go, the buttons to press, right, to bring up that thing that happened a couple years ago or whatever it is, right? We, we know how to hurt each other. And so as soon as that sin begins to show up in my heart, we act like it's this big surprise. And so we pull our daggers out again. All right, let's fight. Let's do this. I'll, be a, I'll, I'll put up the dukes against you here. Instead of being present as a helper and saying, okay, what I'm getting from you doesn't remind me of God's spirit. So how can I help? What's going on? Talk with me. Let me help you see it. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm listening. Let's work on it. Finally, we settle for quick situational solutions that do not get to the heart of the matter. So let's say it does explode, right? We become adversaries. We're against one another. There's a big fight. We solve it. If we're not focused on what God's doing on our hearts, then we solve it by kind of just coming back together and say, you know, I shouldn't have said that. Those were hurtful words. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Now, that's true. They were hurtful words. I shouldn't have said them but I've done nothing to address the heart. All right, so let's go back to my illustration where I'm discouraged and frustrated after a day at work and I'm being short with my wife. I'm not giving attention to her. I'm not serving her. All sinful things. So she helps me see it. Okay, oh, thank you, sweetheart. You're right. Uh, I was frustrated about some things. It's not right. I need to talk to the Lord and I need your forgiveness. My heart was sinning against God I didn't want the things that he allowed in my life today, and I was frustrated with him about it. I've repented of that, and that sin was affecting you. And so would you forgive me? I love you, and I want to do better. I want to trust him more. And if you see that, point it out to me again. I want to see it faster. I want to repent sooner, because I don't want my sin against God to affect you in that way. And uh, would you forgive me for that, right? So there, she's been able to see, oh, he sees what's going on in his heart a little more clearly than just saying, yeah, those were hurtful words, shouldn't have said that. No, what was going on in here? What's God refining in our hearts? Okay, let's go back to our main outline here. Uh, as we think about expecting the expected, there's something else we can expect not only that we live in a fallen world, not only that I'm married to a sinner and I'm a sinner, but finally that God is faithful, powerful, and willing. And this is so, so encouraging. 
He is near. Now, this is really helpful when we think about the crazy things that happen in our lives. Here's a, here's a great example. Uh, if you have your Bible open still, turn to Acts chapter 17. So this heading is on page 26, God is faithful, powerful, and willing. And he references Acts chapter 17 here as well. Uh, But notice verses 26 and 27. says this, And he has made from one blood every nation of men who d- to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord and in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Okay, so two cool things to point out there. In verse 26, you see the sovereign control of man, even down to the very dwelling places of people, where they will live. <laughs> Right? And so God determines all of these things, and yet at the same time, He is not far from us. He's near. He's ready to help in our time of need. Now, this is an example of Paul sharing the gospel for people to get saved, but it continues to be true. He's faithful, He's powerful, and He's willing. He's near, He's ready to help us when we face the chaos of a broken world. He is close. Uh, And so we can really depend and rely on him in those moments. So on page 28, uh, he has this quote, which I like. um, That faithful, powerful, and willing, that's all on page 27 there. And so we come to the end of the chapter and he says this. So when you are sinned against or when the fallen world breaks your door down, don't lash out or run away. Stand in your weakness and confusion and say, I am not alone. God is with me. And he is faithful, powerful, and willing. You can be realistic and hopeful at the same time. So gospel-shaped expectations are both realistic and hopeful. They see the world the way God created it, that there is sin, that tragedies will happen and strike, and yet God is near and present using those things to grow me to the image of Christ and ready to help me, save me from my own sin and help me to help others turn to Him in that process as well. So as we summarize this, I want to draw our thoughts together in just a few ways and bring, ultimately to bring it back to the gospel. Here's a little summary statement. God has placed you in this marriage. You see it there in your notes. God has placed you in this marriage with a purpose to glorify himself by making you like Jesus so you can show the world what Jesus is like. We studied this in uh, Jesus' farewell discourse, his prayer for his disciples in John 17. The Lord could have taken us home right when we get saved, right? Just Just to be with him forevermore. But he left us here with a purpose, with a mission. Everything in our lives revolves around this mission. It's to show the world that Jesus is the Savior that he sent. And we do that by showing them what his love is like. Again, love one another as I have loved you, Jesus said. Now, who's our first neighbor? Who's that closest person to whom we can show Jesus' love? I'll answer it for you. It's your spouse, right? It's your spouse. It starts there. 
That doesn't mean you shouldn't show love to other people as well, but it begins with your spouse. And it's not just to show any kind of love, right? Just like general love and what our world would call affirmation today. No, it's to show specifically what Jesus' love is like. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus loved us with both truth and grace. He moved toward us in our sin. He felt the pain of our sin and rescued us from that sin. Right? He didn't abandon us. He didn't run from us. He moved towards us. So uh, the goal, your goal as a spouse is to become more like Jesus and more and more to show Jesus' love to your spouse, to show your spouse what Jesus is like. In fact, I have found this to be an incredibly helpful little way to remember my role in the marriage. How can I show Carrie what Jesus is like? How can I show her his patience and his kindness, how he speaks the truth, but gently, how he's present, he doesn't run away when she's sinning, right? How can I show her what Jesus is like? And that begins by letting him work on my heart first, Now, Jesus didn't have to do that. We understand that. He didn't have any sin. But do you remember as we went through the Gospel of John, what was the just the repeated perspective of Christ toward the Father? I want to please the Father. I'm submitting to the Father's will. I'm about the Father's business. What the Father's told me, I'm speaking to you, right? He's just constantly looking upward, obeying the Father, yielding to the Father, living for the Father. So too with us, right? Keep submitting to Him. Father, work on my heart. Change me into the image of Christ so that I can show Carrie what Jesus is like, so I can love her with the same love He's given to me. So let's think about how this looks in our fallen world. When your spouse sins, not that that will ever happen, but it may. No, as we know, it will happen. When your spouse sins, know that God is ready to make you more like Jesus and is giving you an opportunity to show your spouse what Jesus is like, or to ask for forgiveness for not showing your spouse what Jesus is like. Okay, to say, oh, what you just saw there, that was Lance. That was not God's Spirit in me, working through me. That was, that was just me, and that was sin. And uh, would you forgive me? When you face the... The grief, pain, trials, and testing of a fallen world. Know that God is ready to make you more like Jesus and to help you show Jesus' love to others around you. Okay, so as you face those trials, look to what God is doing. And then finally, know that when you sin, God is right there, ready to help you become more like Jesus. Crucify your flesh with its passions and desires. Repent of your selfishness. Yield to God's Spirit and show your spouse what Jesus is like. The great enemy of marriage and relationships is me. (laughs) It's my sin nature, my selfishness, and it pops up over and over and over again. And so just learn, that's the first place to look. How is my selfishness coming up right here? How is my sin nature coming out right here? And what does God want to refine and work on in me? All right. Um, Let me just close with three more thoughts here. I think you have them in your notes. Going back to the gospel. Bad news, good news, response. So 
I've added in some marriage implications there, and you are free to add some more. You have them in your notes. So the bad news is the reality that I am a sinner. I am the problem. My sin put Jesus on the cross, and I need to take full responsibility for my sin. So these are the implications of the gospel in my marriage. If I try to pretend like there's no sin in me, there's no sin in my life, I'm really denying a gospel truth. If I don't have any sin, then Jesus didn't need to die. But he did need to die. So there is sin. So I need to do some more searching, and you help me see it. And uh, so so we begin there. So here are some questions. You might jot these down as you think about how Uh, the bad news uh, works on your life. Ask yourself these questions in situations. Where do I see my selfishness? What do my words reveal about my desires? So when I said, um, that's enough. I don't want to talk about it. Okay. What did that show about what I wanted? And who, was, who or what was ruling my life? Right. So these are questions that begin to help us dig down to our hearts and what God might be doing. We'll, we'll bring these up later in the course too. The next one, thinking about the good news. What are the implications for marriage here? Well, if Jesus died for my sins and rose again, I know that he loves me. He showed it on the cross. So even if I've made a huge mistake when I've sinned in a massive way, I know Jesus hasn't left me right now. He's here. He knows what I've done, and he's ready to help me. So that's good news. I can humbly admit my sin and embrace God's love and forgiveness. And God has extended that love and mercy to me so that I can extend that love and mercy to my spouse. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. So where does forgiveness come from? It comes from the Father, because He forgave me. That's why I forgive others. It's not because they deserve it, or we're even, or we're not even, or I messed up, so I guess I should forgive her too. No, it starts with God. So here's some questions. When was the last time I I repented of my sin to God? When was the last time I repented of my sin to my spouse? Am I looking for love from my spouse or am I seeking to show Jesus' love to my spouse? Is my focus more on how they're loving me or is my focus more on how God has loved me and how I'm trying to show them what that love is like? Last one, we trust in Jesus. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We turn to Him and we walk by faith. So Jesus rules my marriage, not me. He's the savior of my marriage, not me. I'll walk by faith in his promises. They never change no matter what we face. And I'll live for him who died for me. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. So I covered a lot there, but I hope the idea comes across clearly that as we apply the gospel to our marriage, as we keep our eyes fixed on what Christ has done for us, we're equipped with all that we need to love our spouse the way Jesus has loved us. We're equipped to expect, to have realistic expectations that I'm going to sin, she's going to sin, 
God's going to be present to help us. And uh, we can walk with each other through those things to become more like Christ. And to get rid of those expectations that she's here to make me happy. That she's here so I can accomplish my dreams. That, you know, they're all, they're all just rooted in, in selfishness and blindness. But the whole goal, God works in my heart, makes me more like Jesus, so that I can show her and others what Jesus is like. Okay? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for our time together tonight. We just ask for your help. Help us to live this way for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In future weeks, we may have little tables with discussion groups and things like that. So this is kind of an introductory night. I know it's a little scary, but uh, we'll see. We'll see where it goes, but it'd be fun to have. We'll probably do some case studies, right? Some third parties, uh, random names we'll make up. They're going through a problem. How would we counsel them kind of things, okay? So uh, anyway, look forward to that in future weeks. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. By the way, if you decide you want a book, feel free to sign up.